Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For much too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, and that leads to gender inequality in leadership and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We absolutely must change this. And I hope that many of you listening right now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible in a way that works for you and for your families. So you can make the decisions that make our world and our organizations better places. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about giving parents the support and space to progress to senior leadership in a way that works for them and their families. We have lots of free events and also lots of resources on leadersplus.org where you can download helpful toolkits such as on returning from maternity leave, or securing a promotion as a working parent, or thriving or surviving, depending how you look at it as a dual career couple. We also have an award-winning global fellowship program for working parents who have big dreams for their careers, but don't want to sacrifice everything for it. You will join a tight-knit, supportive group of people. You'll get space to think about what you want for your life, for your family, for your career, a senior leader mentor and a lot of targeted support in order to get you where you would like to be. And you can find all that on leadersplus.org forward slash fellowship for the details. The next application deadline is on 20th March 2024 and you can download the brochure on leadersplus.org. Today I'm chatting to Sam Butters about combining a CEO role with morning sickness giving yourself permission to rest and about having a co-CEO role together with someone else. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having me, Verena. My name is Sam and I am the co-CEO of an organisation called the Fair Education Alliance. It's a charity um, that employs about 14 people and we have an income of about just under a million pounds per year. And we do work to bring together organisations from the private, public and third sector to try and make the education system fairer. It's work that I'm really passionate about and I've long been passionate about. And I am also um, the mum of a beautiful little girl called Skye. And she's almost two. She's coming up to two years old in March. And I'm pregnant with my second baby. So I'm due in June. So been navigating the challenges recently of being a working parent, but also been pregnant and what that looks like. Um, My partner is also very senior. He is a group financial controller for Savills, Middle East and Europe. Um, So we've both got quite big jobs. So I think that plays into the dynamic in our family. Mm. Congratulations again on the pregnancy. Thank you. I'm interested. What did you used to believe? about combining a big career and young children that you have changed your mind on? Yeah. So I was thinking about this um, and it's really interesting because I think growing up and then thinking about my identity in my 20s, I had this very kind of traditional idea that a you could either be 
a working mum who is all about their career and quite my career is my passion and therefore my family comes second and and I'll, I'll put my child in nursery but that's kind of someone else looking after after them or you could be a stay-at-home mum and then be like really devoted as a mum and crazily I think I still believed this in 2021 when I was pregnant I remember having conversations being like I'm going to intend to take the year of maternity leave but I might change my mind because I love my job so much and I might want to come back and I'm a career woman and there was something about my identity as like a career woman (laughs) that wasn't compatible with this stereotype I had of like what a mum was and a dedicated mum and I'd kind of like I was quite panicked, actually, by the idea of choosing. And amazingly, I've found out that you can be both. Like, you can be. I am the most, like, hands-on mum. I breastfed until two years old. We co-sleep. Like, I could be a stay-at-home mum because I love spending every single day and every single moment with Sky, And I really love it. But I also love my career. And I still have all of the ambition and all of the drive that I ever had. And it just looks a bit different now. And I'm so pleased that that has turned out to be the case because I wanted my life to have both. And it's really sad that I think those stereotypes you'd think they were like something from the 90s but I was still carrying it in 2021 when I got pregnant Hmm. and I think there's lots of things that have made that possible so yeah Hmm. interesting yeah I was the same I really couldn't imagine I thought you do need to give up your identity as a career woman and obviously when I was pregnant and I was really shocked by how many people expected me to give up my identity as a career-driven person and then obviously I wasn't I was still ambitious and it's really interesting how you actually it's almost like you have to do work not to fit in with the social stereotypes yeah Um, yeah interesting it is like we're using this idea of a career woman and it was like I think growing up you kind of get this idea of a woman who does business and you it's not very feminine it's not very caring it's kind of tied up with toxic masculinity in a way isn't it because it's like this idea of yeah quite a hard-nosed businesswoman who doesn't care about their family and and to me it also was tied up in an idea of housework and like cleaning and cooking and I've never been (laughs) hilariously I've never been like very good at cleaning and cooking and all of that and my partner is much more like traditionally domestic it's kind of a running joke with my friends and family and stuff and so I think part of it was like I imagine that I wouldn't be a very good mum because I wasn't very good at cleaning and cooking but that's nonsense like actually like being a parent yes the cleaning and cooking increases (laughs) but like the being a parent at its core is not the same as I guess the housewife traditional stereotypes so I think there was something about that caught up in it that I almost thought I had to give up my career and spend my time cleaning my house which (laughs) I've not done (laughs) well from what I can see on the this is obviously just audio but it looks very clean and tidy behind (laughs) it's outsourced for Renna so yeah it's one of the things that makes it all possible right so yeah (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned that you are in a co-CEO role. How did that happen? So it was nothing to do with work, being a working parent. Um, and I think that's what's quite interesting about it. So the story of the Fair Education Alliance is that we were a programme, a concept within a bigger charity called Teach First. And my co-CEO, Gina, actually ran, an, ran another programme within Teach First. And then when we span out, we merged 
And we were running the bit that I'd been running, the Fair Education Alliance, and the bit that she'd been running, um, some uh, innovation awards. And the model we felt needed us both. Actually, we needed to run this organization together. And it was a really controversial decision at the time. We had questions like, well, who are we going to hold accountable? And how is it going to work in practice? And what if you disagree? And but me and Gina felt like it was the right Gina's my co-CEO. We felt like it was the right model and that we both had something to bring to the party. And with a lot of hard work and effort in building that relationship, it's really worked. And we have a powerful dynamic between us. We've got depth of trust that again we've worked at. Um, we've got complementary skill sets, we improve each other constantly. And ironically, even though there was no intent in that in the first instance, I think it's made our work-life balance and me being a working parent much smoother. But it's also, and Gina's not a parent, it makes her life better in many ways as well, because we're able to ebb and flow in energy, not just in the day-to-day, it's less lonely to be a co-CEO than it is to be a CEO, but in the big things in life as well. So me being able to go on maternity leave and it being relatively smooth compared to if I was a solo CEO. But Gina also taking opportunities. So amazingly, she's doing an international fellowship this year. So for the next four months, I'm going to be solo CEOing while she goes to learn about um, our work in different areas across the world and bring that back to the FEA in summer. And then we're going to be tag teaming and I'll be going off on maternity leave in June. And we pitched the leadership model to the board and they're comfortable with it because they know that we can transition in this way and, and both do the job solo, but also together as well. Mm. And practically, what does that look like? Do you both work part time or do you both work full time? Um, so before my first pregnancy, we're both full time. So it's we're both full CEOs. We're both accountable for everything. We don't kind of split it in any way. And we're, we're not a job share. And then since my first pregnancy, I came back four days. So Gina does five days, I do four days, but we are both kind of co-CEOs jointly. Mm, interesting. And so a board in a charity, the board is your boss. Uh, the board of yes. uh, trustees, which would be the board of directors in a, in another sector. And did you find it, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how do they manage you? Now, as a CEO, you're not line managed the same way that you would be in a more junior position. But I'm just interested, how do they hold you to account? So if one of you is failing, does that mean both of you would be sacked, essentially? What does that yeah. look like? Yeah, exactly. And that was the bit that they struggled to get their head around, right? Um, when we were agreeing the model, that is the question like, well, what does that mean if one of us is failing? I think two points. One is, we also hold each other to account in a sense that because we'll be jointly held accountable for the successes and the failure, there's a mutual agreement that we hold each other to account for the success and the failure as well and I don't think it would have worked if it might have fallen apart if we felt that one of us was not pulling their weight or not performing and I think through a lot of hard work on both of our parts we've reached a point where we both feel like not that we're always perfect but that we're both doing our best and that we're both open to learning as well and if we have feedback to each other 
we give it, take it in the best and we learn and we improve. And that's what I meant where we kind of improve each other because we're both open to that feedback. And so we're getting to further places because of it. So that's the thing about holding each other to account. And then, as you say, it's a board of trustees, so it's not kind of direct line management. But the way we interact with our chair is that she meets us both and holds us both to account and we're interchangeable as well. So like you say, our successes are joint successes and our failures are joint failures. And that takes a humility to share both of that as well. So, yeah. And you said that being a CEO in that this model takes a lot of work. Can you paint a picture of what exactly did you have to do over the years to get to the place where you both are as comfortable as you are now? Yeah. So practically, we did coaching. We had a leadership coach that we worked with who was fantastic, who helped us think about behaviours that we needed to think about in ourselves and each other to work together cooperatively. And I think the biggest thing that came out of that was like a real, and the hard work is like, it's not like time and effort. It's being really self-aware, being really humble, being really open to feedback and being really honest with each other. And where it was hard at the beginning was where we'd like second guess what each other were thinking or we'd think things but not say them because we were worried we'd offend each other and actually now we've put the work in so that we're very like humble and self-aware <laughs> that if the other says something to us that could be construed as negative or developmental we take it positively and we move forward with it and we have the conflict rather than avoiding the conflict but we do the conflict in a really productive moves us forward way and that is the hardest of work in my opinion that kind of self-awareness and like being really humble and being quite brutal and hearing things that you don't want to hear about yourself and um, I think that's the hardest of work and interestingly this is a podcast about working parents I think that it sets you up for being a working parent in an amazing way as well because you have to be quite like self-aware I think to be a parent and self-regulate and all of that so I think that the work we've done has almost made me more ready to be a working parent not just practically with a co-CEO but also emotionally and mentally too if that does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah yeah it definitely does and when you picture yourself in the long term you've been with the Fair Education Alliance for a few years and I imagine you're going to continue to grow. Gina will continue to grow. What do you think is next for you both in terms of creating that, you know, developing and evolving that relationship and your own performance as well? We see ourselves continuing to work together, although we've got a bit of a <laughs> an agreement where we kind of say we'll work together as, as long as it carries on feeling this good, a bit like mm -hmm. a relationship. Like, you know, we don't believe in staying with a partner unless you're still happy. And the same with Gina, like, as long as it carries on feeling as great as it does now, we want to carry on working together. Um, we've got big ambitions still for the charity. And, you know, we span out of Teach First only a few years ago um, in 2020. And we've really achieved things in that four years, but we're at a political moment um, that we want to seize as well. So I think there's things we want to do together in the next few years. 
with the Fair Education Alliance and we still see that as what we want to do. But we also hope that one day we will make a difference and in education and that there's other causes that we might work on together in the future as well. So, yeah, a bit like a marriage where we have kind of committed our vows, but in a but we'll get a divorce if it's no longer working and, and it's not right for the children. <laughs> so, it's interesting. Yeah. That actually has yeah. come to my mind, the way that you're talking about working on your communication. That's exactly what you need to do in a marriage. So, so yeah. it's fantastic to see the the interaction I think it takes a lot of humility as well not everyone can do that because you need to let go so do you each have some areas that you lead on then or how do you not step on each other's toes or are you just talking all the time it's changed so at the beginning we did broadly lead the bits that we had historically led so I'd led the kind of collective action and campaigning work and she'd led the more programmatic awards but actually even before my maternity leave we'd started both taking leadership for everything and we'd agreed that the line management should be just random we shouldn't be line managing a person that was on our piece of work, we should and could be able to line manage any of the senior leadership team because we both have visibility over everything. And then it shifted a lot, I think, when I was on maternity leave, because obviously Gina then took over the whole gambit. And then when I came back, we just, again, I just took over bits that um, that felt right. And so we both have leadership, ownership, accountability over all of the areas of work. We split the line management um, and then kind of day to day, week to week, we'll split the work, but we communicate a lot. We spend a lot of time together, which I think is worthwhile and gets us to a better place. But it is a it is a time investment in mm. that relationship. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. So you're obviously you're driving the future of work because you're doing a model that nobody else is doing. You mentioned it's not a job share. Can you just say why it's not a job share? I think because of the origins, we didn't do it because we wanted to work part time. When we started it, we were both full, full time. And I'm still four days. So I don't think I'd have wanted a job share. So that's partly the reason. And that's just not the model that we're... Yeah, that's probably the reason, actually. The the fact that both of us want to be full time. And actually, the cost of having two CEOs we feel is justified in this situation because of what we're able to achieve is more than the sum of the parts as two CEOs. And then it does enable that flexibility as well. I mean, to me, it does sound like a job share, but like a job share plus in that it's just not two people doing three days a week. It's two people doing five or four days a week. Um, Yeah. But obviously you're in charge of your own arrangement. So if if you don't call it a job share, we won't call it a a job share. Yeah, it's interesting. We uh, Yeah, I guess my idea of a job share is the three days, three days overlap. But yeah, I can see that this is a job share, but that we're just both full time. Mm. But it is a different model and you are shaping it. There will be someone in the world who will pick this up and replicate it. I have worked on something I'm incredibly excited about together with my team over the last few months. I am absolutely thrilled to launch the first ever Senior Director Fellowship for Working Parents. We've created this for senior directors who want to be present with their families, be living proof that combining children with big careers is possible, and who want to shape the future of work for others. Gender equality right now is at its worst at the very top of organisations. For example, out of the executive directors at the FTSE 250 companies, only one in four is a woman, and it's similar in other sectors. 
We don't have data about how many are fathers who have significant caring responsibilities, but my guess is not many of them will be represented in senior leadership. With the Senior Director Fellowship, I want to create a network of like-minded senior people for you who have your back and want to help you stay in your senior director role, progress and continue to develop in your career with ease. You will get access to inspirational senior speakers, including our CEO Fireside Club. You'll get hands-on support to grow your influence and power for good, including how to get onto boards and how to influence boards. You will get a ready-made high-caliber network of non-judgmental senior directors who also have children and who experience similar things as you do. And you'll get insights from other organizations and leading thinkers on how the future of work could look like and what role you could play within your existing day-to-day work to drive that change. So if you are a director or senior director or executive director who would like to explore this further, you can get in touch to join this inaugural cohort. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash fellowship. You'll have to go to the senior director page and then applications are open now and will close on 12th of June. I'm interested, what do you think is the benefit for the organization? Because it sounds like it's a lot of work. Potentially, like you said, it's a bit more expensive because you have two people at a CEO salary rather than lots of directors underneath. And there's this investment. You have to work on each other and it's not the same simplicity in that you're just doing the same thing as other organizations where the buck stops with one person. What is in it for the wider organization? Yeah. So I think the first thing I'd say is I do believe that with one CEO, we would not achieve as much as we do. And that is because I think CEO is a very lonely position. And actually, you're making decisions without that scrutiny or validation from someone else and that means that it's like one person making a decision what Gina and I do and when we've got it right is it's not just yep good idea it's oh actually no have you thought about this or how could we do this even better and we've got complementary skill sets and sometimes she's the pessimist and I'm the optimist and sometimes I'm the pessimist and she's the optimist whichever way around And sometimes I'm the visionary and she's practical and vice versa. So it's not like we always bring the same thing, but we push the ideas that one CEO would have to the next level, which I think has got us places faster and more quickly. And then extrapolating that, I guess, to the nature of the work we do is even more interesting because we're in the business of bringing together lots of different organizations with their own interests and their own decision making to try and achieve more together than they can alone. So the fact that we're starting with this model of collaboration between the two of us and all of the personal work and humility you mentioned that that takes, we're able to apply that and extrapolate to what does that mean to getting all of these organizations working together with their own interests and humility and all of that kind of stuff going on. And I think that the board, although they were 
really hesitant at first see that now. They see that the cost of two CEOs has been worth it because of that. And then the other part of it, I think, talks to culture and whether this is because directly of the co-CEO model or because of the type of women that me and Gina are and therefore what it takes to become a co-CEO and work together and the beliefs and the way we approach work, it also has really affected the culture in terms of what we set for everybody else in what work should and shouldn't be. Like we believe in a fluidity between work and life. We believe in the fact that our energy will ebb and flow. And that's why the co-CEO model is really cool because you can have an off day and there's someone to like pick you up. I'll talk about when I had morning sickness at some point and it was horrendous. Gina's there. And similarly, if Gina's having an off day, um, sometimes she has health problems, etc. I can pick up the slack. But then on that bigger level, maternity leave or the Churchill Fellowship that Gina's doing, But we've translated that to a culture as well that I think works for working parents, but it works for everybody. So we have remote working, we have flexible working and agile working and hours and a lot of policies, which, you know, I won't go into the detail of. But the idea is that we're creating a culture that's based on we believe that if the employees are able to thrive in their lives and their work, they produce better outcomes and work together better, they're happier, and all of that. And that works for working parents, but it works for everybody. And I think that's where us practicing that as co-CEOs really extremely has made us model that for the team. And we talk about the concentric circles of like me and Gina, how we work together, then the team, and then the members of the alliance. And then that's what we want for the education system and, you know, big dreams. But that's what we want for the world, really, that people enjoy their work and they're thriving and they can achieve more because they're not just like working and at home, but it's like a fluidity between all of it. Hmm. Interesting. And you've alluded to your experience of being pregnant in a CEO role. Can you tell me what was the most challenging moment of, I guess, just the process of having a family as a CEO? Yeah, interestingly, the challenge for me has not been the working parent bit. Actually, maternity leave, I took a year. I had the first year with Sky and that was incredible. I came back after a year and I just... I did I worked four days Sky Love Nursery that all kind of was going really well and you know the co-CEO model and the culture that we've got in the team I didn't face some of the challenges that I know a lot of working parents do the biggest challenge for me has been one when I was trying for a long time to get pregnant before Sky didn't quite get to the point of IVF, but we were about to. It was one of those situations where that seems to happen loads where you're about to go for IVF and then I got pregnant the month before. But it was a low time and if others have been through it, they know like that horrible month by month, like all I wanted was a baby and being a leader through that was hard because that was what was on my mind and the priority So that was really hard. And then the second... So if I just can, because I think that's something a lot of listeners can resonate with. And I just wonder how you managed being able to do your job because it is such, it is the one of the most 
significant things that you can go through. And if every month you're going through such intense emotions, and obviously it's all preoccupying you, right? Is this cramp a pregnancy cramp or not? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. And I don't want to like kind of gloss over that I managed it and then like fully thrived. There was some really low moments and those times when your period comes and you're just like, oh God, it's never going to happen. And you start having those conversations about what if this never happens? What does my life look like? And you start to lose motivation of like, do I even care enough about my career without having a family? Is this enough? Well, and especially with your job, right? It's all about education. I'm sure you can care about education if you don't have children, but yeah, there is something yeah. about being around the topic of children yeah. every day. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that going back to this culture and the co-CEO model, like I've got a lot to thank Gina for in that time. Like I, you know, I talked about these ebbs and flows of energy and that's mental and physical. Like if we're having a low time like Gina knew the whole like I was open with her and she was like as happy maybe not quite as happy as me when I got pregnant but Gina was delighted when it happened because she was in it with me and I think that another kind of just I couldn't talk highly enough about the co-CEO model because I can't imagine doing that as a CEO alone and being able to be as vulnerable and as open with people I was managing than I was with Gina about just like how rubbish it was each month and how that made me feel. So that kind of helped with the loneliness that I was sharing it with Gina, that she was on that journey with me and the actual physical capacity to allow me to ebb and flow. And Gina also got the ebb and flow as well. So it wasn't just all one way. So I think that really helped. And this culture that we try and set in our team more broadly, where we allow life to happen, we allow that people go through hard times, whether it's family issues or health issues or, you know, life happens, right? And we can't just pretend life isn't happening and just crack on and be robots. And I think a lot of organizations fall into tricky water with that when you just have to pretend you're a robot. And I don't think people enjoy work if they're doing that. So yeah, I think I was really lucky to be in a co-CEO model in an organization that allowed me to feel and be human in that period. And then I got pregnant, which was amazing. (laughs) And then you got morning sickness. Yeah. And that was the second hardest period of this working parent shenanigans is so first time around, I had really bad sickness, but it was the back end of the pandemic. So I was working from home. I didn't have a toddler. I was really ill and it was really, really hard. I thought at the time until I came second round. Um, But I was able to lie down on the sofa between meetings. I was able to be sick in my own toilet, etc. And that was really hard. I remember messaging colleagues and like other working parents that I knew had been through it and being like, this is horrendous. Nobody talks about this. Like you talk about maternity leave and you talk about like being a working parent and juggling pickups and drop-offs, but nobody talks about this. And then second time round, oh my God, it was like a million times worse. So I got pregnant in September last year and I had only been back at work since March But because it had taken us so long the first time round, we started trying quite early and it happened first month. And so it took us by surprise. And there was a lot of emotion about I was only just getting back into the swing of work. And 
What did that mean for my career? We've got this exciting year politically as well for the FEA um, this year with the imminent general election. And there's a lot of emotion on that level. And then I was horrendously ill. And then the added level of having a toddler and just surviving those few months was hard. And it got me mentally, it got me physically. I was worried that I didn't want the baby because I was worried that it was like gonna I wasn't gonna be a good mum to Sky anymore. I was like, if I can't cope with morning sickness and work and looking after Sky, how am I gonna look after a baby and look after Sky? And it just brought up all these worries and I was just like, I'm not being good enough at anything right now. Um luckily I'm feeling a lot better now and in 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 hindsight and reflection and a bit of coaching support I think that actually it was okay that I wasn't maybe been good. What What is good enough, right? Like it was okay that it, for three months I was doing some questioning parenting where I just laid on the floor and let Sky climb all over me as, as entertainment. And it was okay that I, at one point, I had a low moment where I'd had a day, didn't have time for lunch, was literally vomiting in between a really important meetings back to back got home at the end of the day and said I can't do this anymore and I took a week off and it's okay that I did that because again life happens and it's one week in a very long career this is four years I'm probably not gonna have any more children after this she says but it's four years of a very long career and a lot of impact that I know I have had and will have and actually it's okay for me to be good enough at this period but I'm saying all of this with reflection I did not feel this in November when I was vomiting into an office toilet between important meetings so yeah for you it sounds absolutely horrendous yeah I think it's just one of the worst things well just how it physically you forget sometimes how your body actually is quite important and if you just can't I remember I was still uh, at the charity where we both used to work I teach first and I was pregnant I hadn't told anybody and I was in a meeting with uh, we used to have these contract management meetings with the most senior contact at the university and it was me and him and I was just look checking whether because I hadn't told anybody it would have been weird if I went and vomited in the break I still remember how I was looking at where the paper basket was just in case it was bad enough at one there and then I couldn't make it to the toilet and it's just it's this physical thing isn't it to um that you deal with and it's not spoken about it's not spoken about and that's what really worries me I think it like warms my heart that we're having you know leaders plus exists and we have more and more conversations about maternity leave rights and paternity leave rights and return to work and I think there's a lot of still major strides to be achieved in many industries but we're making progress but just weirdly I don't think anybody I've not really thought about or like heard much about that morning sickness period and I was Mm -hmm. talking to one of my colleagues before doing this with you Verna and we were saying we might, this is one of those things that we might look back in 20 years and be like, can you believe we used to make women work through like intense morning sickness where they were like iller than you'd ever be. You'd never work when you were that ill if you were ill for like a week or whatever. And I don't know whether that's the answer that there's leave for that period or whatever, but there seems to be a discussion that needs to be had about what that period looks like. And from the organization's perspective as well, because 
one of the reasons I couldn't just drop everything and like lean into what I needed in that period and my body needed is because the organization needed me and there's no cover for me or anything like that. And I'd have been, stuff wouldn't have got done. So what are the practical things we could do to allow for that period that aren't there at the moment? I agree with you. But I think the other really important point is that you just gave yourself permission. Okay, fair enough. It was after you really trying to pull through a very (laughs) tough day. Yeah. But we just so often do not give ourselves permission to rest. Or I remember even just lying, I think I must have worked home on a rare day and feeling so guilty for lying down. Obviously, that was pre-pandemic and pre-flexible working. And why is it so harsh to give ourselves permission to rest? Because it's exactly your point. We are having very long careers and we're making a big impact in those careers. So we should be allowing ourselves rest. And especially you and I, who in the end, you know, the buck stops with us. If things don't get done, nobody's going to tell us off. It will be mainly we who ourselves are not happy with us if we haven't had this new partnership that would have maybe resulted out of one of those meetings you had. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It relates to this productivity thing that I think there's a lot of chat on, I see TikToks and Instagrams about it, but this idea of like in the modern world, we see productivity as like busyness and achieving stuff. And and I've been through a big shift. I think even before Sky and before like being a mother and all of that, I think I've been through this like realization that it's actually the opposite of selfish to rest and put your physical and mental needs first. Because when you keep going and try and push and give everybody else what you think they want when you're not feeling it, it ends up backfiring and you end up not serving anyone. Um, and that lesson that I learned the hard way, I was, a, I was a management consultant before I came into the third sector and I had a period of burnout there where I was just like giving, giving, giving all the time, even when I didn't have the energy. And I had this really amazing woman who managed me and she's still and her words have kind of chimed through the ages and I still think about them now that she was like the world will not stop if Sam Butters goes off for a few weeks and that was like both brutal but also like the most refreshing thing to hear because it was this like almost like quite conceited attitude that my work's so important that if I rest for a few weeks everything is going to fall apart But also, how trapping is that? Because you think that you're holding the world together and it's all going to fall apart if you go off. And lo and behold, I took a few weeks off, felt much better and came back. Everything was fine. And actually it was better because I am now feeling better. And applying that to being a parent and like, you know, when your toddler needs you and you're exhausted and you just need to lie on the floor if you keep giving, 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 that's when you end up snapping or you end up like doing something you regret. But, you know, they say, don't they, it's better to just leave them crying for a couple of minutes and leave the room and gather yourself that and come back and give them your full self and attention. And I just think it's a really great thing to apply to everything, to work, to parenting, mm-hmm. to life, like put yourself first, face mm. mask on before helping others type situation. I couldn't agree more. And on a side note, it's totally fine if you're snappy with your toddler. It is, they are oh, yeah. with us all the time and that's yeah. absolutely fine. They're, they will be able to yeah. cope. They're strong. Yeah, but, 100%. <laughs> but I think 
I really agree with this point on productivity. And I reflected about this recently because I grew up in this, well, quite a Protestant area in Switzerland. And Protestantism is very much about work, work, work to prove your worth to God. Like that's what the 17th century or whenever that was the message. And in the culture that's still in very much, that's, you know, the type of messages I would have had from my grandparents. And so I always associate my worth with work. And I recently really shifted. Um, I think it must have been because of some books I read. But I realised that the most value that I've added in the recent years to Leaders Plus were the decisions I've taken. So perhaps the, the people that I've hired or the decisions about the type of intervention. So it was those things. It wasn't the extra half an hour I did or the email that did get answered. And I, and I think that's important because if those decisions are the most important one, then I really need to follow what my mother says, which is she always says, obviously she's the most loveliest mother of all in my view, but she always says, like what you say, you need to rest because that's when you make the best decisions. And that is such a powerful message. And if your decisions are the most important thing, then yeah, like you said, rest is what matters. Yeah. So let's go off and have a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Clear, Clear our heads and think carefully. And like going for a walk is often the best thing to do, isn't it? Just get outside be with your thoughts for a while and you make some great strategic decisions. Mm. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Verena. Yeah. Interesting. Now I have not asked any of the questions that we put on our briefing document, which I carefully sent to you in advance, but is there any topic that you were really passionate about sharing with our listeners before we close the conversation? So I think one topic we haven't covered is how being a parent has improved my working practice or changed, maybe not improved, but how have I changed as a co-CEO because of being a parent? And this is a really interesting one because I guess because of the nature of the work and maybe just my personality, I have been so passionate about making education fairer since the moment I decided to leave my management consultancy job and go and work at Teach First, that I was like bordering on obsessive, like at parties and all my friends will testify. Like I talk about this all the time. I watch the news all the time and I was constantly on thinking about not just like absorbing, but thinking like, oh, and what, what are the opportunities? What could we do? How could the FEA, how could the Fair Education Alliance help? And Gina and I would probably, not probably, definitely very unhealthily kind of message each other in the middle of the night with like, with ideas and, and things. And I was worse at that than Gina, actually. Gina's always had quite like a healthy boundary. And I think Gina's been a massive influence on me in this regard of like, setting healthy boundaries and I think I owe a lot to her for the culture that we've created because she's good at it but because I'm a parent now obviously like I physically can't watch the news all the time and I physically can't be thinking of ideas in the night because this morning at 4am Sky woke up and wanted a banana so I'm giving her a banana rather than thinking about strategic opportunities and I think that's like it's made me better at my job in that it's made me healthier in my approach. And you know what we we're just talking about in terms of strategic decisions? It's made me even more focus on what's the thing that I can use my working hours to do to have the biggest influence to move this forward. And I'm really, I've never been a person who's worked long hours, actually, partly because of the co-CEO model 
But now I'm really strict and, and me and Gina are proud of the fact that we run a million pound income, 14 person organization and we do not work like most evenings. We'll send a few emails, but we don't work most evenings. We don't work weekends. And we're proud of that. We want to shout about that because that's cool. That's cool that we're achieving that and we're not like burning ourselves out. But being a working parent has made me even more strict with that because you just can only work the hours that you're working. And I think that's a really great knock-on impact for the culture of the organisation that you can be really tactical with your time and achieve lots but just within reasonable working hours whilst guys at nursery and then the moment she comes through the door it's all about her so yeah and this little baby that I'm growing in my tummy right now (laughs) so yeah so I think that's the other thing I wanted to share wonderful so at the end of this podcast we always ask for small things people could do to implement which must take a maximum of five minutes because they're all busy working parents so I'm going to ask you there are hopefully a few people from this podcast who might be thinking hmm I might might want to become a CEO sometime let's say they're maybe in a director level type role or a manager role what five minute thing could they do this week to move them onto the path of at some day becoming a CEO Before you start any task or piece of work, take that five minutes and think, why am I doing this? What's the outcome? How long is it going to take to do it in the way I planned to do it? Is that worth it? And then take a decision. We talked about decisions being the most important thing you can do as to are you going to do it? Is it worthwhile? Can you do it in a quicker, more efficient way? Or actually, is the, I love the phrase, is the juice worth the squeeze? And is the juice worth the squeeze? And are you going to do it in the way you're going to do it? And I observe so many times where if you don't take that five minutes, you end up running yourself ragged and you can't balance life and, (laughs) and everything because you're just doing everything. It'll make you more impactful. It'll make you be able to do things more efficiently. And it kind of applies to parenting and to work as well. I guess if you can apply it to like, I'm about to do this really messy activity with my child and they're likely to just throw loads of paint on the floor and I don't know, hate it within five minutes. Is there a better way to achieve the outcome that you wanted to do? So I think that would be my top tip for use use the five minutes to stop have a cup of tea or whatever your calmness of choice is and think about that task that you're about to do and is there a quicker way (laughs) wonderful excellent advice and where can people find out more about you about the fair education alliance how can they support your work if they would like to do so yeah, so I check out our website, so faireducation.org.uk, and the our bios are on there, and please do get in touch through the info email. I think anyone who's interested in inequalities in education, and we're all parents and we care about children, but there's a lot of children who aren't getting the opportunities that you know some of our children will be getting and we see that in the education system so feel free to get involved we're always looking for um, volunteers and funding um, but just interest in the issues that we're supporting so yeah find out more on our website mm-hmm. wonderful thank you so much sam great to have you on the podcast thanks brenna thank you so much for listening today 
and a special thank you to all of those of you who have connected with me on LinkedIn in the last few weeks. I really, really love hearing from listeners and hearing how you enjoyed the show. So it means a lot. Thank you so much. If you would like to be in touch in real life, do consider joining the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. It is such a fantastic community of working parents supporting each other to find a way to get careers where you can make a big difference in senior roles, but also do that unapologetically in a way that works for us. And if you want to apply, then the deadline is 20th of March. You can download the brochure for the programme on leadersplus.org. Podcasting is also quite a male-dominated environment. If you look at the top charting podcasts, especially outside of the kids and family space, very often it's all led by men. I can't remember the numbers, but it is very male-dominated. Just take a look at the charts. And interestingly enough, more females than males listen to podcasts. So another unequal space. And thank you for supporting this podcast by listening to it. But if you want to help us, I guess, have more influence in the space, then please do help by sharing it with your friends and by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much to all of those of you who've done that already. Have a wonderful week.